Hi everyone and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Morganum by P.D. Spensky. Today we are discussing chapter 22. This is part 4. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast and you'll also find additional information on our website philosophyrekindled.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar. And I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome Pete. So Pete, welcome back. Where are we up to? So we've had two of the Chinese philosophers and Spensky, he's obviously been like, you know, He's got, he's got the shivers now. It's like, oh, oh, I've got to get onto her. I've got to get onto her. She's my hero. Oh, I love her. Oh, I, oh she's my hero. I've got oh, she to get loves, onto her. He loves them, Mabel and, and Helen, Helena. Helena Blavatsky. I've got to get to Helena. She'll never forgive me if I don't. So we come on to the theosophists. We do. We do. We come on to Helena Blavatsky and Mabel Collins. And look, he has really... Um, pulled a lot of lot of quotes from their books all the I, I really so. don't want to do too much and I'll tell you why I don't no. want to do too much because when you read these little pithy sayings of Lao Tzu and Chang Tzu and even the early Christian mystics mm. it sounds really convoluted the theosophy doesn't it they're not pithy little sayings that really hit the spot they're like turgid explanations i'm going to show how much cleverer i am than that too well you're not you're just not yeah i mean the 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 analogy of the well frog says it all doesn't it yeah i have no problem with theosophy and, and everything it's just that in the context of this chapter these seem really laden and pedestrian and heavy quotes to say something that lao tzu says in like you know half a sentence yeah, I think the word heavy is right. It's like Lao Tzu is, uh, Zhong Tzu is, they've got a lightness about, they just go simple, simple, simple. Whereas this, you think, well, they're trying to tell me something, but what are they saying? Like the mind is the great slayer of the real. Yeah, having become indifferent to objects of perception, the people must seek out the Raja of the senses, the thought producer, him who awakes illusions. The mind is the great slayer of the real. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not going to knock theosophy because I've had a lot from it in my time. I've enjoyed and pulled things from it. But in the context of the chapter that we're on now, it's worth mentioning that these are just making heavy work of the, of the things that they have read. Because being no, no doubt that Helena Bulovatsky had read all of these works. She was familiar mm. with all of these works. And then she says, oh, I'd better put it in my own words. And her own words are nowhere near as pithy and pointed and like wow moment things. You read Helena Blavatsky and you feel like you've done a day's work. You read the sayings of Lao Tzu and every now and again you get this like ping of of this flash that we keep talking about. Well, I I think she has one good thing to say. She has lots um, of good things to say, but it's just the way she says them. Yeah. So this is actually Mabel Collins, um, okay. right on the path. It's, it says, you will enter the light, but you will never touch the flame. Talking about attaining this uh, this experience. And I, mm-hmm. I, I like that because it's if it's such a flash that you can never explain to anyone, yep. you can't even explain it to yourself. It is like you, you've had the flash, but you haven't touched the essence to the point where you can share it with anyone else. 
it's like you've experienced it but you don't have command of it you can't you can't bring it back and say here yeah. it is everyone i mean and to be fair to mabel collins she does she does good work in trying to explain what it feels like to have the experience you know she it, again it's it's lengthy it's not a pithy saying you know you know uh, on on the deep silence, the mysterious event will occur, which will prove that the way has been found. And call it by what name you will, it speaks in a voice that speaks where there is none to speak. You know, blah blah blah. But she's not telling us anything new. No, she's not. Well, all I can say is that it's it's not wrong that people should continue to write about this and try to describe the experience because somebody might come across Mabel Collins's work that had never read Latsu. Or, you know, Dionysius the Areopagite. <laughs> I mean, who the hell has read Dionysius the Areopagite in this day and age? But you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it is great that the, the, the attempt to explain the unknowable continues. That, then, that these attempts are not consigned to, oh, that's some dusty old philosopher from a million years ago. It, it keeps it current that that people continually try to explain what it is. So I do see that there is value in doing it. I just don't think that in the context of the chapter that we are, you know, that we are actually um, discussing, that it adds anything new. And in, and in many yeah, ways no, it sends I'm... us back a slant because I don't think you're going to beat Lao Tzu and Chang Tzu. I think no, it's going to be very, very difficult. I will, give, uh, I will give Mabel Collins one more quote that I think Yeah, go on. No, please nice. do because, uh, you know, yeah. I don't dislike her, you know. No, no, no. I, I, I prefer her to Helena Blavatsky, but only for yeah, these you, you, quotes are in here. She's oh, right. Oh I, I, oh, I thought you were on about you seeing pictures of them. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying about I thought, I thought you were telling us that Mabel Collins is some kind of like lingerie model or something from Victoria's Secret. Because uh, <laughs> I tell you now, Helena Blavatsky wasn't. Yes, all right. Let's let's go from the three D into the yeah. <laughs> the writings. Okay, so uh, the quote I like is: "To hear the voice of the silence is to understand that from within comes the only true guidance." And then a few dots: "For when the disciple is ready, the master is ready also." I like that last bit. For when the disciple is ready, the master is ready also. Are you are you ready for this? The disciple and the master are the same thing as well in that context. It's your inner self is your master. Nobody yeah, outside. Exactly Nobody so. external. Exactly so. And, and I kind of linking it to, say, the well frog example. If the well frog decided to, to that, it, that it wasn't going to be restricted by this well anymore, it may well it find jumped, the ocean. Jumped out. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. It's a good story, isn't it? It is. It is. So I think you know, that they're, they're the pick of the, the bunch from, from those two uh, writers that Ostensky yep. has put down here. Uh, Professor James uh, continues. Does he? He does continue. He's. I'm always joking. Yes. So the next bit is uh, the next bit I've got is Professor James calls attention in his book to the unusually vivid emotionality of mystic experiences, and to the quite unusual sensations felt by mystics. And he does draw a parallel to say that in you know some of the mysticism in, in you know gets very uh, I suppose he didn't use the word but raunchy. Whereas others, like you know, say some Christians would would say, no, you you can't have any feelings with this. It's got to be you know very austere. Whereas other um, religions will allow the more emotional, sensual, you know, 
part yeah, look, of it's it. sex. What basically this bliss, this bliss that you experience is orgasmic. Let's not let's let's not put a lid on it. That's what we're talking about, and that is what happens. Yes, well, that's the thing. Zespensky goes into saying that. Well, you know, some some religions won't won't explain it in that way. That they'll be a little restricted in their. In I know their, um, what they allow. So, yeah, uh, and he says, uh, James, uh, Professor James says. The deliciousness of some of these states seems to be beyond anything known in ordinary consciousness. Well, um, it, it evidently involves organic sensibilities, for it is spoken of as something too extreme to be borne, uh, verging on bodily pain. But it is okay, too okay. Let, let's just let's just go for that because coming from a world where um, repression was mighty, let's let's look at a French phrase for the the most like deeply profound sexual orgasmic experience and the french call that le petit mort the little death it is a state of bliss experience and i can tell you that it does match um this you know the the experience that these mystics are talking about they will experience it in exactly the same way uh, which is why sex is a great part of religions that are not constricted by western victorian and particularly edwardian morality and end of end of analogy so just because professor james is using the word delicious he's on about listen if you if you uh, practice something that's that's now horrifically called edging you you will you will experience this pity more you can actually bring it about for yourself if you do it with somebody else you're doing tantra what do you think Tantra is doing? You 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 will balance the energies in Tantra, and it does much more than this. But at a great level, you will you will experience this prolonged ex connection with the truth. Let's call it the truth, the divine, and you will experience these multiple, in fact, seemingly like one huge, long-lasting orgasm simultaneously. So you know this. The, and just because Professor James and you know God bless him uh, and and Uspensky and all of these are coming from a, a they are living in the um, neo Edwardian and Victorian era where the imposition of incredibly restrictive morality on the West um, had destroyed all access to bliss and it had and did yeah. and and that that resonates through even to today believe it or not it does. Um, the truth is out there, and and people around the world have been connecting with this. This is there are lots of religions and there's lots of writings that say that that petty more orgasm experience is the closest you're ever going to get to the the bliss experience of nirvana and the oneness with God. And are you saying that that is um, is one and the same? Yes, I am. I no 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 no. I am saying it's one and the same, and I'm saying that that means that means that. If you do nothing else for yourself today, find a quiet room and go and crack one off. <laughs> That's that that straight straight to you from Pete Lancet, the <laughs> advice of the podcast. <laughs> and, and for some, don't worry about a quiet room; just find a noisy room, but don't get caught. <laughs> <laughs> When when you said that uh, famous French French saying um, the, the the petit more, I thought you were going to say that famous French saying enough of the love talk off with your pants. <laughs> <laughs> 
That one as well. <laughs> that one as well. <laughs> right, moving on. Yes. <laughs> so have we any more to say before we move on to mysticism penetrates into all religions and we start talking about... No, I think we should, I think we should go to that now about India because obviously... India is very, very important in this because we have, first of all, we have more writings, you know, the, the Vedas and, and so on and the Bhagavad, but the Vedas and, uh, and, and loads and loads and loads of other writings that are very ancient that, that really delve into this. Also, you know, given as a nice segue from, from the joke we've just had about sex, the Indian uh, experience and the Indian structure of religion had no problems about sex whatsoever and brought it right into into the experience because they knew how close you get with it and that it is part of the if you repress any part of the the 3d experience you're repressing your ability to get close to god you're you're actually putting a barrier between the circumference of the wheel and the hub to use that previous analogy so they, so they have no such restriction yeah yeah you're basically introducing duality I'm better mm. because I don't do this or I do, you know, as opposed to everything is available. Mm. So Professor James especially talks about yoga and I think, mm. I, I suppose yoga was the first Eastern uh, practice brought to the West from from what I understand it was the... Well, you you know, you'd be hard-pressed to argue for anything else. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. And it pretty much came from the, the, the English, or I suppose I should say British, but it really was, the impetus came from England, invasion of India. I'm calling it an invasion, even though we colonised. You have to invade it before you're going to colonise it. But we invaded it with money. We invaded it with trade. And, and then took the army in to protect our interests. But we, we ended up owning it, and we were always meant to own it. And we did. And those people brought it back. That continued right up to the point of Indian independence, by the way. Even in even at the time of Ispensky, British officers were coming back with uh, yoga and, and other ideas in the you know, early part of the 20th century, particularly. They felt they felt um, that they could express that and make it mm. public. So part of that is that Professor James possibly notes that yoga means the experimental union of the individual with the divine. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about yoga is that it, it combines the body and the spirit because it, you know, it part of the practice is exercise, posture, um, you know, sort of exercising the brain as well as that uh, meditation side of it. It's, it's got two prongs to it. So it is encapsulating the whole body shall we say. He talks about exercise, diet, posture, breathing, intellectual concentration, which, you know, you rightly say we now use the word meditate. But when he talks about intellectual concentration, that's what he means. But he means meditating with a purpose. Yes. Concentration means focus. And this is the secret. Empty headed meditators are not doing it. They're not going to achieve much. They will get a relaxed state and there will be benefits from having it. But it's not what they think they're doing. It won't get them to where they think they're going in most cases, ever. The difference between the new age and the concealed magic of ceremonial magic and the works that relate to it, which, by the way, you can get if you can be bothered, um, they'll tell you the difference. Um, you know, you, you will be told quite easily in, for example, in the Foundations of Practical Magic, 
it's quite clear that they say you know, med meditation without without um, a focus of attention is worthless. It's it's just an exercise in relaxation, which they admit you know may have benefits because learning how to relax is of benefit. But it's not the purpose for which you think you're meditating. You'll get nowhere with it. It's it's quite well known, and that's why this is this use of words intellectual concentration isn't exactly the same as meditation because when people now hear the word meditation they have a very specific idea of what they think it is and so it's great that he uses that pointed word intellectual concentration so i just thought i'd yeah. mention that because it is important that we know that he's done it for a reason no that's a very good point he also says moral discipline i think the fact that he's used the word moral here i know that that's probably he says moral discipline varies slightly in different systems which teach it. And uh, I, I think it's sort of alluding <laughs> I, 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 to the sex side of things. It is, and, Profe and Professor James has to be very, very careful for his audience because his audience isn't um, people, the people of India or other parts of the world. His audience is, first of all, his own peers, academic peers, who are going to be very much Church of England Christian. Mm. And and Church of England Christian of the early 20th century, you know, the, we're talking about Edwardian and Victorian Christianity here and moral values that they'd imposed on us very quickly and very tightly. He's got to be very careful what he says. But I think he's, yeah, so he he's come as close as he, he's, yeah, he's alluded as closely as he can to the fact that we're talking about sex as well. I like that. Very varies, varies a little. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very slightly actually. A hundred and eighty degrees from the um, Edwardian experience in Christianity, obviously. But <laughs> but more importantly is the the when a man comes out of samadhi, Vedantists assure us that he remains enlightened, a sage, a prophet, a saint. His whole character changed. His life changed, illumined. I'd like to talk about that illumined because we haven't touched on, you know, I heard the phrase illumination a lot but not well, it's in what book. it's what people now call awakened same thing well what's illumination let's let's imagine that you're living in a dark room and suddenly you have the experience of a light being switched on and you can see everything when the light goes off again you never forget what you saw and that's what this entire phrase is about okay that's a good analogy yeah it was wasn't it i thought i was doing well with that one i i i think you could probably go down and uh and and edit here and put that in and, and would say, quote, you. Yes, I think Spensky so, too. could use you I, as a poster boy as well. I, I, <laughs> I, have now, I have now morphed into Professor, Professor James. You have. You have. <laughs> well, there you go. So, um, so Spensky, or I should say, Professor James brings in Buddhists as well, and, and uh, he ah, says yes. they use the words samadhi as well as the Hindus. But dhyana is their special word for higher states of contemplation. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it says higher states still of contemplation are mentioned, a region where there is, exists nothing and where the meditator says there exists absolutely nothing and stops. There is neither the ideas nor the absence of ideas. We come back to mm. that's what that's what Chang Tzu was saying you know, as well. Chang Tzu was saying that. Yeah, it's like you can't equate it to anything tangible in this 3D experience. Well, you can't even speak of it, can you? Because for for there to be nothing, there has to be a thing. For there to be a no thing to no relate thing. to. Yeah. 
and this is what this is what they're trying to get at. And they're not saying there's nothing, there's, they, but they're not saying there's something. It's like yeah, but that's the whole point. You know, the, the language again has has formed the barrier beyond which we can't yeah. go. Nothing, nothing has to have a thing to 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 be to, yeah because against. it's no thing yeah exactly right but it looks like what they're saying here is there are three kind of steps there exists absolutely nothing step one then they reach another region and they say that that they say there are neither ideas nor the absence of ideas and then they get to another region where having reached the end of both idea and perception he finally stops. This would be seen to be not yet nirvana, but as close as an approach as his life affords. Okay, there's lots of stories about the the yogi in India who contemplate and contemplate and contemplate and they just disappear. In other words, when they achieve nirvana, they're no longer visible here in the 3D world. They've gone. They've raised they've raised their vibration. <laughs> Or, uh, or, uh, or as we now know, they've done exactly the opposite. They've stopped. They've stopped right vibrating at all. Yeah, they become limpid. Sovereignly limpid. Sovereignly limpid. Yeah. I will actually suggest that anybody that wants to know what that might be like and this experience might be like, grabs themselves a copy of um, autobiography of a yoga by um, Paramahansa Yogananda and read towards the end of the book how his guru, Sri Yukteswar, achieves this and, and moves off into a place where he can then describe infinite spheres. He's, he's at the place then between Nirvana and this world. Uh, that would be very interesting. Well, it's towards the end when Sri Yukteswar, let's say he passes on, but he doesn't pass on in the way that we mean it. Well, he's dead. Oh, woe is me. And, yeah. and, a, and a bit Jesus-like, he keeps reappearing to Paramahansa. Yogananda. Yes, I remember that, yes. It's, uh, and he has a photo of him in the book as well. Yes, um, that's right. And I've actually got yes. a book by Sri Yukteswar. Oh. Yes, he wrote a, he he wrote a slim, a slim, yes, well, he did. And it's a slim volume and it's fantastic. It's, it's a bit more obscure than Yogananda's, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> No more obscure than the stuff we've been going through. Well, I was going to say, it's not like he, he probably could use language either to explain things. But, no, um, he, he, he yeah. finds it difficult. <laughs> Can we move on to something that's important? Is, so Islam and Sufism. Sufism is absolutely sensational and bridges the gap between the East and the West. Yeah, what is written here is that um, the Sufis interpreted the Quran mystically. Sufism <laughs> is the philosophical free thinking of Muhammadism, united with an entirely original, symbolic and brilliantly sensuous poetry, which has always a hidden mystical character. Well, very popular amongst New Agers now, especially on Facebook, are the sayings of Rumi. Rumi, of yes. course, is a Sufi mystic poet. But go and find the Persian ones like Omar, Omar Khayyam and everything that we've been discussing is encapsulated in the Rubaiyat. It's absolutely oh, I love fantastic. the Rubaiyat. It, well, it's, it's all fantastic. in there. It's, it's my favourite of all time. But, 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 the, but the Fitzgerald translation rather than the um, Bert, Richard Burton translation. Well, by the way, when I say Richard Burton, for people who don't know any history, um, we're not talking about the actor from South Wales. Fantastic though he was, uh, we're talking about 
we're about talking about a Victorian English adventurer and explorer. He is the first non-Muslim and the first Westerner to go to Mecca and do the Hajj. Oh, right. right. Oh, yes. And he, you know, he, he is a great translator of Arabic and Persian. Um, but the Fitzgerald translation of the Rubaiyat for me is just sublime and it's, it's out of this world. Awake for morning in the bowl of night has tossed the stone that puts the stars to flight. And it begins like that and it gets and it just gets better as it goes on. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Sufism. Let's go. So I like this. It says, from the point of view of Christian theology and Christian morality, the mixing up of sensuousness and religious ecstasy is incomprehensible. But in the Orient, the two coexisted with perfect harmony. Which is what I just said. Yeah. It then goes on to say that what we mentioned before, that, you know, Christians just beat themselves up just to basically put them, put them into the well. Yep. They keep the frogs in an ever smaller well. And that well, yep. that well, by the way, got smaller and smaller as the years went by until we ended mm. up with the Edwardian um, well, which is about the size of a thimble that people have to live in. And that still resonates now, right this day, the morality. Uh, when you hear people saying, I've got great moral values, you know, especially, you know, I've, I've seen it, I've seen it said loads of times, you know, I've, I've got morals, I've got standards. What they're really saying is that they're still living in the restrictions of a hundred years ago in Edwardian morality. I, I, I mean that a hundred percent. This isn't open for debate. That is the fact. If you look uh, pre-Victorian era, um, what, um, what was acceptable behaviour and thought in England, you know, uh, you would be astonished. We now talk about the Belle Epoque French, you know, being liberal and, you know, the sexual liberation of the Parisians of that era and so on. That was England then. Only we were a bit more rustic and earthy about it. <laughs> we were going for it like dogs. We were, at, listen, there was no, no moral stricture on it in that sense. Um, it literally is a modern thing. And people now have been led to believe that it's always been that way and it's the right way to be. And they see it. They see it when they come out with how they've got moral standards um, as though that's a, a fabulous, enviable attribute and that they are somehow better than people that don't have what they perceive to be these great moral values. What you've done is you've put your life in a thimble. You've not just gone into the well as a frog. You've now, you're now sitting in a drop of water in a thimble. You're that restricted. And you will live and die without experiencing half of the bliss and pleasure that you could. Or not even a tenth of it. Because you... And what is it going to get you? Fuck nothing. all. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. yeah. You achieve nothing. So any, anyway, but, then, but this, this is the beauty of the East. It wasn't like that. Where did we yeah. where did we get this fusion of the east and the west from? Well, I'll tell you, the Crusades. Oh, okay. It's where we first came into proper contact. Look, let's not pretend there hadn't been contact. There had, but the the overt transfer of those ideas, and it's where we get the our modern numerical system from. Do you know? Until the Crusades, we were still using Roman numerals. Try doing long division with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> It, um, yes, it but, would be quite long. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it just? Um, 
so yeah we came back from the crusades with all of this scientific knowledge as well but we also brought with it under that cover all of this mystical knowledge and it and what people that what people that went out there in the know and people did you know people went on, on along with the crusades understanding that there was going to be the mystical side of christianity that was going to marry with the islamic side and they went there to forge connections not to conquer people oh, people right. do misunderstand the crusades well yeah what i do thought that was happened? just a bloodbath okay well they were for, for ordinary people but that was a mask that disguised something much deeper this fusion of these people that had knowledge that they were going to keep from ordinary people and they did you see in the east everybody had access to these religious practices and the striving for nirvana in the west religion was used right from the very beginning as a tool of oppression and slavery so the the fusion of of the east and the west that were going to come about they did it under the guise of war because they liked the war as well who brought most of the great mathematical knowledge the great knowledge that we got from the crusades and and this this meeting with um the islamic world who brought that back who was fundamentally responsible for bringing that back the templars were fundamentally responsible for bringing that back oh right well we won't go down that road in this podcast but most people will hear that word and know that we're talking about something very strange and something very paradoxical in in the order of the knights templar read the story if you like but if you think that the templars were all about killing muslims you really do need to read some more about the templars by the way just just another hint they never have been the good guys so so when you see indiana jones and the uh what was it the the one with sean connery in and where uh, the last crusade and it was the templars that were guarding the holy grail and fuck off these are these are not people to be looking up to read more about them find out more about them but we'll move on to this this stuff here yeah well spencer put some some well i'm presuming he has italicized some of these quotes but uh I really want to select thy, select for thyself yes. a new wife every spring of the new year. I thought you get that because last year's calendar is no good, <laughs> says the Persian poet and philosopher Saeed. I told you the Persians were brilliant, didn't I? <laughs> well, I'm thinking, does he really literally mean a new wife, or does he is that, is that a new wife mean a uh, a new way of it's looking at analogy. things? It's an <laughs> yes, analogy. It's an analogy. It's not just a new way of looking at things; it's a new way of doing things. Although he could quite literally be taken to mean that too, because that might be for some people that might be the new way of doing things, something new to do. And you notice that we laugh because we're 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 already pitching a cloak of victorian edwardian morality on you're what right. this man has said you're that's right. why i'm guilty your honor <laughs> but do you see what i mean see how easy it is yeah. how how much we've been enslaved and how different their look at the world is yeah i uh, know you're absolutely right it, it could it could be an analogy that actually is but the, it could be lit- itself but yeah. it could be literal quite easily too yeah you're right. Absolutely. It could be. It, well, it, could, it, it could be an analogy, but it could be an analogy that could just as equally be the one that you choose to do, and that would be equally valid. If we go to the sixties, we could probably say, "Leave your keys, your 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 keys in the bowl yeah. as you come into the party." And uh, absolutely. 
Or if you come to nowadays, um, grow pampas grass in your front garden to show that you are a house where swinging takes place. (laughs) There you go. So, you know, nothing's changed. It's just become a little bit more cryptic. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, The other one is, and uh, in such curious form, Sadi expresses the thought that Isbin puts into the mouth of Dr. Stockman. Truths are not as many believe like long-living Methuselahs. Under normal conditions, a truth may exist about 17 or 18 years, really longer. That's that's a very exact kind of time frame, isn't it, that they're talking? Where, Where does that come from? I have no idea because I'm not Ibsen. And I'm certainly, you know, um, not his character. But the point, I think the point to make is that what's true for people in one age is is different in another. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not quite a generation, but it's sort of heading to that, isn't it? Like a generation's about 25 years, I suppose, I'm thinking. Every time a generation reaches the point of self-aware adulthood, which, by the way, is much later now than it used to be, then there is a chance that they will change the way that a whole society thinks. Yeah, they will have right. different you're views. Right. Yeah. And maybe, you know, that's, yeah, 17 or 18 years is that time to become an adult. An adult, yeah. We have now a voting age, don't we? And an age, like 18 is the age where you can do this, that and the other, right? But, but how many 18-year-olds do you know that you would uh, trust and trust your future to? I would not have 18-year-olds voting in a million years because people aren't grown up until they're in their 30s these days. I've never known such a childish people. But I will say this. My dad is an old man now. In his day, you were grown up pretty quickly. You were out to work at 15, doing tough manual labour with men who were bringing up families. You weren't still living at home with your mum and dad at 30 like lots of people are. I've never known... I mean, this is the weakest that humanity has ever been, the most feeble that humanity has ever been. So when they use like the term 18, he's talking mm. about people, he's talking about real people. <laughs> you know, yeah, by, people by, age, yeah. by 18, people have, people have grown up and, and one generation might look at, look at the, the way that their, par- their parents' idea of truth and say, we don't want to live like that. By 18, they could have, they could have started changing um, the outlook of a society. Well, I suppose even in our era, at 18, you left home, you got yourself a job, went to uni or whatever you did, but you... Okay, right. Other things aside, a lot of people now, in numbers like we've never seen, find don't go away to university. They find the local university and do a course there so they can stay home with mum and dad. I'm telling you that that is happening all over the shop in England and only the children of the wealthy tend to go to universities away from home uh, and, and of course when you stay at home into your 20s you're not growing up you just are not growing up you're not you're not responsible for your own life at all you're living in the safety net forever i don't care that you've gone out and got a job you're still living in the safety net and yeah, you're absolutely. not you are literally zero responsibility for your life so you're not forming any truths you're not changing you're not making any changes you're not doing a damn thing i'm not going to argue the case about you know the financial constraints and people can't do it blah 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 all i'm saying is that that has is what's happened mm. it really is look there's a lot more to be said uh, about sufis now i'm going to leave you if you have anything um i want to i want to go straight down to the 
part that talks about generally speaking never and no yeah, I, I, I'm happy to go because honestly if you did a, a Google search for Sufi mysticism and the writings of Sufi mystics you would get a load and we've already mentioned some I mean Rumi would be a good modern modern one I would suggest that you go to the Persian mystics and certainly read the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam as one yeah I, I, mm. I definitely would yeah yeah just as a good oh, starting absolutely. point absolutely so I'm, I'm going to just wrap this this bit up uh which mm-hmm. i thought was an interesting point that uh professor james makes he says that the sufi poets frequently um that they had all this poetry that was very raunchy or you know, it was mm-hmm. very sensuous um but they frequently lived the strange lives of hermits and acarists and wanderers and at the same time they sang about love the beauty of women the aroma of roses and, and wine and I think what he's kind of saying here is that they used all these analogies to relate to they could uh, reach the people that that they were trying to speak to in terms of things that related to those people. So even though they were living yeah. totally different lives, they they knew enough to to reach out and relate. Yeah, but uh, you know, as well though that sen- that sensuality of the of the human experience without without the constriction of the well. You know, mm. the frog. He is telling them to live without. You know, the Sufi mystics are telling them live without restriction. Yeah. That way, you will get closer to God, even without doing any meditational practice or doing what we mm. do. You know, going living in the wilderness. The very act of of living in utter freedom, without the constriction of somebody else's framework within which to live, takes you closer and closer to the bliss of God. Yeah. So yeah. don't we shouldn't knock it and we shouldn't just say, oh, it's just an analogy. It's not. He these people were telling you have a lot of sex, do the things that are pleasurable, sensual, eat the, eat that ripe mango and enjoy the deliciousness and the sensuality of it, enjoy everything sensual, including you know sexual relations with other human beings. Yeah. Enjoy it. Do not be restricted. He's being there is the. You know, we can try to put our framework on it, but you shouldn't. They are they are unambiguously telling people to do this, to reach, to, to get closer and closer to the blissful state. Yeah, no, I I agree with you a hundred percent there. I guess what I was trying to say is that even though they're not necessarily, um, you know, they they're not settling down and and, and mm. living a a life that's not uh, in one place, but they are reaching to people and say, you know, you. You appreciate that beauty, enjoy that wine. You know, like these are things yep. that people would be doing. So, but I guess what they, they're not. There wasn't an analogy. It was more a. These are things you do. Yeah, get into it. Yeah, yes. go for it and you enjoy know. it, mate. Because yeah. you know, yeah. Um, the 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 Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam is fantastic for telling you to do that because he says, like, I mean, I'm going to put it in my words now. It says. You're a long time fucking dead, mate. You're a long time dead and a short time here. Get on with it. I mean, obviously the poetry talks about seeds being cast in the wind and all the rest of it, but uh, no, uh, you're a long time dead, mate. Get so, on with yeah, it. Go, it. Go for gold. Have it, go have it large. <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah, go so, big or go home. <laughs> Look, I think that's a great place to to stop there because... After this yeah. section, we get on to oh, a totally oh, there's different. a section. Yeah, oh, and we've got to do this. <laughs> we, oh, I, uh, you might be surprised to find that I have an opinion on this. This next section, I 
don't think we should rush it. I think we should save it for the next podcast so that you, Pete, could get right into it. Um, um, would you like to give a little uh, hint as to what's to come? Well, we've done the sex. Now we're going to do the drugs and rock and roll. With <laughs> Professor, Professor James takes us into the narcotic aspect of the mystical experience and how, how you might try to... Um, contravene or, or sort of circumnavigate the hard the hard yards that you'd normally have to put in by taking some substance and uh, we'll go into that yes so this is really a Spinsky's sex drugs and rock and roll chapter no doubt anyway Pete I'm going to leave it there so thanks so much for joining me today it's been a great conversation I'm really looking forward to the next podcast yeah, it's been fantastic. It just gets better and better now, doesn't it, as oh, we're moving into these it. areas that are really interesting and, and really practical. You know, I really love this. Yeah, it's brilliant. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yes, and thanks, everyone, for listening.